we'll be in two sections of scripture today. Uh, the first one we'll read uh, is out of Ecclesiastes uh, 12, verses um, 8 through the end of the chapter. I'll let you guys uh, have time to turn there. Um, you can also follow along on the screen. All right, starting in verse 8. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd. But beyond these, my son, be warned. There is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Next, we will read out of Psalm uh, 119, starting in verse 9. I'll give you a second to turn there. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is the word of the Lord. So we come uh, to the end of our study, and uh, I really have enjoyed this series. I've enjoyed the different voices um, that have been preparing messages for us uh, from the different texts in the Bible that speak rather clearly about what it means to live a life under the sun, what it means to live life honestly and uh, with deep reflection. And uh, we, we learn principles about how um, we should live our lives. And obviously in church, that's something that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to read from the word of God and it's going to mold and shape our thinking and our behavior. Um, and, and then we get to the end of it and uh, it's not something that we can just conclude and then, and then move on. Although at some level we have to do that. We're going to be starting a new series next week with a story on the entire story of God beginning in the Old Testament. And just kind of looking through and say, if we were to just understand the Bible by looking at it in one big snapshot, what would it look like? And so we'll spend a number of weeks this fall kind of working through the, the, the major themes chronologically in the Bible. Um, but I hope that we don't let this go, that the summer of wisdom becomes a, a life where you and I hopefully are dedicated to being more wise. Just no way around it, though. You cannot look at this topic of, of wisdom, which is the knowledge that God has given or the knowledge that you and I can even discern from living and, uh, and for us to ever just figure it out and then to be done. And that's, I think, one of the frustrating parts. My dad would always say that youth is wasted on the young. Okay. <laughs> Any other painfully obvious statements, right? I, I, I get what he's saying there. In, in reality, you and I, as we look at life, and, and I've been told by lots of people, you know what you should do? Do you know what you should do? Do you know what you should do? And, and you know, I, I wasn't one taking notes, but I would say generally speaking, like I'm listening. I, I'd love it. G give me some advice. I'm not, not an anti-advice guy. Yeah, like help me out with this. I get it. <laughs> but then I stand at most of my life, and uh, if I'm honest, a lot of it is not 
do you know what I did? Do you know what I did? Do you know what I did? It's, you know what I should have done? You know what I should have done? You know what I wish I would have done? And that's just life. That's Ecclesiastes. That's Proverbs. It's looking honestly at life and realizing that there is knowledge and then there is the application of that knowledge which is called wisdom and then there's reality which is you and I learning life's lessons the hard way. And and hopefully we're reducing the number of mistakes that we're learning a way of, of, of wisdom but as we've been spending some time looking at this I hope it's been encouraging and I hope it's been challenging. I hope it's been convicting I hope that you never find yourself, though, in light of this series or in light of your own life, what you did, what you should have done, what you wish you would have done, stuck, hopeless, desperate. I know verse 8 sounds that way. What does it say? Futile, futile, like futility. Other translations, meaningless, vanity, Doesn't that sound just kind of like desperate and hopeless? You you can read that and think, there's no point to this. That's not what the word means. It's not that there's no point to it. It's just in light of life and the complexities of life and in light of life under the sun, which is life in the world that God made, this series is designed to try to give us like a perspective so that we can actually find hope and purpose and meaning. That it's not about trying to figure it out so you get it right. But it is designed. It's an invitation, isn't it? It's an invitation. Wisdom, come, learn. Come and see. And and wisdom, when it's done right, like God, when he's understood right, is an invitation into his kindness and into his mercy and into his way. And we don't listen all the time. And we don't get it right most of the time. And God in his eternal kindness, in his overwhelming patience, just is there over and over and over again. And so I find it somewhat appropriate and yet fascinating that this series is going to kind of end where it began. Right? So we're really going to be looking at like the beginning and the ending of wisdom. Um, I'm reminded of a comedian that was describing what it would be like for a horse in a horse race. This jockey gets on top and boom, it goes off and the horse takes off and whoever's on top of me is really excited and we've got to be getting somewhere. And, and so the horse is just doing the, the job of the horse and the horse just runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. And then by the time the horse is done, he roughly ends where he began. And he stops and he looks at the jockey and he goes, what was the point of that? Like, you seem to be in a hurry, but we ended up just right back here. There's got to be a better way. Like, did this make any sense at all? And, and, and the, the, the part that is funny about that is that so often the aspect of so much of our lives, like, there is so, something divinely inspired about the beginning and the ending. That's why it is true that one of the most powerful, two of the most powerful places, because they're somewhat amazingly reductionistic, that you can understand or perspectives of life are... Um, in, in the, on the ward of, a, of a, where, where children are born in cemeteries. Like there's something about the beginning and the ending that there's a, a similarity. You've heard it. You come into this world and you leave this world with nothing. 
There's this, there's this beginning and ending piece. The Bible, interestingly enough, begins in a garden and ends in a garden. The Bible begins with God and ends with God. And so does wisdom. The invitation to wisdom basically is come and fear the Lord. Hear his words, humble yourself and, and respond to God. And that's where Solomon ends. The writer of Ecclesiastes ends with a very similar thing. And, and therefore, really, the idea that you and I are looking at is, you know, before it is too late, and, and by the way, I want to remind you this statement, when we talk about before it is too late, this again shows the goodness of God whose mercies are revealed to us every day. If you can hear me, can you hear me? Raise your hand if you can hear me. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter how old you are. I'm talking to you. This is talking to us. It doesn't matter if you've got a list of accomplishments behind your name or a list of failures. If you can hear me, the amazing goodness of God is it's not too late. That's, I think, what happens to us as we get older. I'm, I'm, I think I'm officially old now. And when I look at, there's so much I wish I would have. And before I just kind of, you know, throw up my hands and what's the point of steering, um, in desperation, I can't get those back. I can't undo what I did. What the Bible offers at the end of it all, at the conclusion of the matter, is not, eh, whatever. It's not. He ends where he begins. The beginning of the matter is this, fear God and obey him, keep his commandments. And then he talks about that and describes the brokenness of us. And he says, hey, as I wrap this up, can I, can I just remind you again of what I said? And so it's not too late to hear from him. It's not too late to respond to him. Your life is not so good or so bad that you can't hear the truth about God and respond to him in some way this morning. For he truly is there, waiting, patiently, kindly, in full righteousness and holiness and love. And this is who God is. And, and so again, I, I know it sounds really, really simple, but the Bible is like that. It provides a series of statements that are incredibly simple and yet profound in the depths of as you begin to unpack that, it just brings on more and more facets, facets and it applies in more and more and more and more contexts. It's the beauty of great simple statements. And that's what the teacher of Ecclesiastes concludes with. What is the answer to all of this? After I've described everything that I've done, what is the answer? And he says, fear God and obey his teaching. Now, I know we spend a lot of time talking about what it actually means to fear God, and we take little, little statements and little tidbits to try to understand what that is. But essentially, just again reminding us, beginning and ending in a very similar place, the fear of the Lord is understanding, to the best of our ability, the fullness of who God is, the reality of who God is, not what you want him to be, not what I want him to be, not what somebody else said he is, but the reality of who he is to the best of our ability to comprehend and respond to it. 
It is the engagement of God for who he is with the fullness of us, who we are. And then recognizing the amazing distance between who he is, what he is, and who we are and what we are. And the Bible's description of what that is, that recognition of the gap, one of the ways that it's described is fear. Is fear. But before I just you know, unpack that again, I like the fact that as we try to explain it, we need lots of different words. and lot, I like that, actually. It, it says that, I, for me, it really says that there's something real and true in that. I don't want to begin with the reality of God, and I don't have enough time to unpack it. But I'll begin with us. To fear God is to approach him in the, in the truthfulness of who you are. Like, that's what it means. The, the book of Ecclesiastes, any, any Bible book, does its best to try to be honest about who we are as humanity or who we are even as individuals and coming to terms with that. So literally, when you engage God, you engage God not the way that you want to engage. This isn't some kind of a social media post that you can selectively choose a filter to represent yourself in a particular way. No, God sees the reality of who you are. That's what Ecclesiastes teaches. God sees you unfiltered. God knows you without your edits. You can't selectively choose the stories about you that you want him to know. You can't manage your reputation with creator God. So you come to God, the book of Ecclesiastes says, in the fullness of the reality of who you are. I want you to think about this for a moment. Can you think of anybody else in your life that that is what your relationship is like? Yeah, my wife. No, sure, she sees me in the morning in all my glory. Right before I look this pretty, she sees me before this. I don't tell her everything. And the only reason why is because I'm smart, or at least smart enough to know. By the way, she would be the first one to tell you this. I don't need to know everything. I don't. One of the reasons why my wife doesn't need to know everything about me is because she believes in God. And she knows God will take care of that which she does not need to know. And so she asks me for wisdom and discernment to share those things that are necessary and needful. My wife doesn't tell me everything. I'll never forget one time I was talking to her and she was describing some things and she stopped midway and she said, no, that's just for Jesus. And I went, wait, you can't keep stuff from me. And she said, I can if it's Jesus. Anybody know you? And the answer is, there is one. And he knows you. Talk about naked. Talk about ashamed. I think that's why I like to put my good things in front. To try to cover up the scars and the the ugliness of the rest. God sees through it all. So that's, think about it, that's what it means to fear God. Is it's not fearing God disconnected from the reality of who you are. It's fearing God because you know who you are. You know who you are. And then you know that he knows who you are. <laughs> okay. What is he like? 
We don't spend enough time on that one, by the way. I, I would argue, and I've been reading some fun stuff about historically, about how Augustine really kind of messed us up a little bit with what some scholars call like this inward turn. Nothing wrong with some in, inward reflection, um, but we have become obsessed with our insides so much so that I, I think we are disproportionately focusing on us and it's the reason why we're just so broken and stuck in our brokenness. I, I think it is healthy to do that, but if you can't see above you, then all you're gonna feel is trapped and broke. I mean, I get it. I totally understand why I get in these gymplosion moments, right? I get it. It's when I begin to see God and the fullness of who he is. And I, by the way, I don't mind beginning with like his righteousness and his holiness and his perfection. I'm so glad that he is because I don't know anybody else who is. I don't know anybody else who is. So I'm so glad someone out there knows. Someone out there gets it. Someone out there is not like me because I need rescue. Do you? I do. I need rescue. I don't need someone else who can't swim to come drown with me. Want me to come drown with you? Yeah, that'd be so great. I just don't want to drown by myself. So if you could just drown with me. No, I need rescue. And God says, I have, I can do that. Literally, if, if you understood the greatness of God, you would understand the fact that your sin, as dark as you would like to make it, never unsettles him. Ever. You can, you want, I don't, you, people, well, if you only knew. <laughs> sure, you, I'm not saying you couldn't overwhelm me. I'm just saying as I read this book, there's nothing you could say that is somehow going to unsettle him. The collection of the brokenness of all of humanity has not unsettled him. And by the way, he's not disconnected from it. He's not ambivalent to it. He is just greater than it. That's why I can tell when people are freaking out. And by the way, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a freaking out kind of person. I'm not, I'm not truly, I can, I can freak out with you. You want me to freak out with you? I can freak out with you. But when I meet freaking out people, I am reminded, I really am. There's one that's never freaking out. I think a lot of us actually believe like God is freaking out about what we did. And God is, you know, God is. And just like when people are describing him, I'm like, I don't think he actually is like that. So he's not disconnected, he's not ignorant, and he's not freaking out. What is he? He knows, he knew actually. Put that into your head. He actually knew we'd be here. I love to remind people in the midst of their brokenness, you knew, you know that he knew that you would be here and he still called you. He still revealed himself to you and he knew we'd be here. I mean, if you just can't sit and wonder, well, how does that make you afraid? That's why I think one of the best thoughts I've had in this series was when I was coming through it, and I learned so much. I loved all the different voices that were so instructive in this series, but it was from the idea that fear and love are so intimately connected. And if you were to ask me what I'm most afraid of, it's losing those that I love the most. 
And the reality of sitting in a relationship where I know that they know me and they still love me and I just feel helpless, I feel, uh, I don't like to use the word grateful because that would be a good response. Um, I feel guilty. <laughs> you ever been here? Feel unworthy instead of grateful. You know that, you know that feeling? And almost, you almost want to push them away. That's kind of what the fear of the Lord is all about. Fear God in the full nakedness of who you are. And fear God in the greatness of who he is. Knowing that he is holy and righteous. And he does not just excuse sin. Nope, that's your mother. That is your father. That is your best friend. That is not God. Instead, he loves you and he sends a way for redemption. He sends rescue. He is rescue. Do you see the difference? Fear God, Solomon says. And he didn't even know about Jesus. <laughs> so he couldn't even, he, he couldn't understand the depths of God's love that would make him appropriately fearful, joyfully Fearful. And obey his teaching. That's the answer. Fear God and obey his teaching. Which is so much, see if you understand the fullness about our brokenness and how we got there. How did you get here? I didn't obey God's teaching. I didn't know that it was God's teaching, but now that I look back, he told me not to do it. I didn't even know that I wasn't supposed to do it, but now that I know I wasn't supposed to do it. And now I know why I wasn't supposed to do it, because man, this is a mess. So sometimes it's out of ignorance. And other times, yeah, I knew I shouldn't have done this. God told me not to do it, but I still did it anyway. And wow, is God, God is, have you noticed how smart God is? Like just how wise he is and how instructive he is. And so we obey his teaching because he really does know what he's talking about. And yes, there is an element in which he is God and he is speaking and we should, with a reverential fear, honor and obey him. But there's nothing he's ever asked us to do that isn't for the best. And you, you, you hear me pray like this, for his glory, others benefit, and our joy. Like those are always intimately connected. The glory of God, the benefit of others, and our own joy. Those are so tied together that they can't be divided. And that's what it means to obey his teaching. It's not just follow the rules, it's obey his teaching. And God reveals himself and reveals himself and reveals himself and we see it in his word. And that's why Solomon is saying this. What, what is it? I mean, I know this is just take, literally, I, you, I don't even know if you need to write this down. It's like super simple. Fear God and obey what he says. Obey his teaching. And, and what I love about this is that when we look at it, and we get to look at it from a different vantage point than Solomon. Right? For all that Solomon has, that's great, but we get a better spot. So Solomon looks at this and says, yeah, we really should obey his teaching. Because he's given us these 613 commands, which are summed up in these two commands, to love God and to love others. And God has created this way, and God's created this path, and it's really, really wonderful. It's like a tree planted by streams of water. He gives all these really cool ideas. And we're like, thank you very much. That's awesome. And by the way, that's really what life is all about, is that these are the teachings, and you need to follow these teachings. And then Solomon dies. And what he doesn't know is there's like more to the story. And more to the story is, is that you and I now have a vantage point that is fundamentally different than Solomon's. 
So thank you very much. I really do appreciate Ecclesiastes. I really do. But I get to read it in Psalm 119. I get to read it in light of knowing how the story moves forward and knowing the, the point of the story. And the point of the story is not the word of God as wonderful as it is. The eternal word of God, the unchangeable word of God, the evil return to God, not empty word of God, but the word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us and his name is Jesus. So we get commands, don't murder, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet, don't envy, right? We, we get the, the goodness of the word of God that gives us instruction, that helps us to be wise. But what deals with the, grid, the great gap between the goodness of God and the brokenness of us is the word that then steps into the gap and says, I got this. God comes and visits us and says, I got this. And Jesus begins to instruct us about everything that God the Father had already instructed us. And Jesus begins to speak and to model and to demonstrate what that looks like. So you and I, when we hear fear God and keep his commands, we're not just stuck between Genesis and Malachi. Now we have the words of Christ. We have, in a sense, a whole a new list of, of, of commands. We shouldn't be afraid to call them what they are, okay? Because they are from the Lord. So you might not like the word rule or command, and you probably have a rule about that. <laughs> it's fascinating how you just can't get around some of these things. Or a command that I shouldn't. Is that, you want to command me? That? Okay, so you can't avoid it. These are beautiful things. The Apostle Paul, when he is listing in the book of Galatians about how we love one another and we carry one another's burdens, he says this, and thus, by living that way, we would fulfill the law of Christ. That wasn't a bad idea for him. So you do know, like, what you and I have in terms of, like, fearing God and obeying his commands is that we get these incredible commands that are not burdensome for us. It's not a yoke, um, it's not a set of teachings that's meant to like just constrict us, but to give us life, to teach us about freedom, to not be bound by our sins, to literally be rescued. And what I find fascinating is just the common denominator about fearing God, about obeying his commands, and about judgment that we see in the Bible. So again, I want you to hold on to this. The full reality of who you are Okay? Naked in every sense of the term. And the greatness of God, which you and I can only look into and get reflections of, because we will never get to the end of the greatness or the magnitude of greatness of who God is. And as we're coming to grips with that, we, we kind of get insight in, in, insights into why Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with this really profound statement. I won't sing you the story, but I think you've heard about this. There are two builders. One of them builds his house on sand. And then he says, what? And when the rains and the floods come, what is that? I don't know, Genesis 6. Floods, you know what I'm talking about? It's judgment talk. And when the rains and the floods come and they beat against the house, if it was built on sand, it, 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 it's lost. It's judgment. But the one who builds on the rock, and Jesus says, and by the way, I am the rock and my teachings are rock and stable. If you build on my teachings, which are an extension of me, when judgment comes, you will stand. And therefore, anybody who hears my words and puts them into practice is like somebody who builds on a rock. 
For when the judgment comes, this is a common theme that we see throughout Scripture. It's Jesus' way of kind of restating what God spoke through Solomon. Yeah, I know I've used a lot of words here, and people love to talk. And, and to that talking and that retalking and retelling, there will be no end. But in a nutshell, fear God and obey his teachings. That's literally the answer. When everything has been said, that's the conclusion. I find it fascinating that God, in his prerogative and his position, does not need to give us a reason, but he does. Truly, he doesn't have to give us a reason. He doesn't have to explain everything, but he does more often than I would expect. It also is a sign of his love for us. That he revealed himself and he revealed his expectations. Let's be honest, you don't, you're not confused about what God wants. You're actually frustrated with you knowing what God wants. And the reason, which the writing of Saul, or the writing in Ecclesiastes actually teaches, is this. Why should we fear God and keep his commandments? And the answer is because everyone stands before God one day. Every one of us stands before God one day. And I think we need to come to terms with that. I think you need to come to terms with that. Remember how I kind of began and I said, can you hear me? And you raised your hand, you said you could hear me. Listen, you will face God someday. Like that's a reality. You might think you're gonna hide in the crowd. You might think he doesn't really like care specifically about you. I don't know how it's gonna work. I mean, maybe it's one of the reasons why eternity sounds so long is <laughs> because there's just going to be a lot of conversations. I don't know if all of you are even going to want to listen as I talk to God about my life or he talks to me about my life. I have no idea. I just know that the Bible makes it very consistent that like Adam and Eve stood before God and kind of gave an account that everyone will stand and give an account and that's a reality, the Bible says. And I believe that that is a reality. Now, do you understand why you need to fear God and keep his commands? The reason is because every one of us will one day stand before God. I guess it makes sense, you know, if you're dying, to kind of think about this. I've had these conversations, deathbed moments. Where I have said to people, I remember one man I was talking with, he, he wasn't quite on his deathbed, but it was close. And there were some real struggles that were going on in his life. And I promise I wasn't sitting in some kind of position of uh, moral authority, per se. But I do remember looking at him and saying, brother, you do realize you are weeks away from seeing the creator of the universe. And you're going to have to, at some level, have a conversation about what's going on right now in your life. Are you aware of that? I've had a number of those conversations. You do know we're dying, right? <laughs> Not trying to be morbid, but you do know that's us. And that means one day we'll see God. And I'm so grateful for somebody who has come along and said, I want to give you some insight. Since you are going to see God, can I give you some something that you're really gonna wish. And, and this is one of those things where you don't wanna go, oh, you know what I should have done? Not all you know what I should have done's are equal. 
I really wish I would have like spent a little less, saved a little more. Don't tell Andrea I said that publicly. You know what I wish? You know one regret I don't have? I don't have a regret when I decided to follow Jesus. There's no regret in that one. And by the way, that one actually matters because as you look at it, Ecclesiastes says this, for God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. I find this fascinating. Whether good or evil, it's not that God just knows your bad things. It's not God has a list and he knows if you're naughty or nice and he just wants to talk about your naughty stuff. The Bible always talks about like God, God knows all the good things that we do and God knows all the bad things that we do and we will be judged according. The Bible says this repeatedly. We'll be judged by all that we have done. And I, I just want to be honest because the Bible is honest. There's a lot of good things that you've probably done. And it seems like the Lord is going to talk to you about that. I don't know if he's going to thank you or not. I have no idea. He won't thank you like, wow, I needed you. He won't be that kind of a thank you. But I wouldn't be surprised if God said, hey, by the way, I saw that you cared for that person. Just, that was, that was, that was good. That was really, really good. But the Bible also says that unlike other world religions that think we're kind of this weighing of the scales and if you have more good than bad, then that's fine. The Bible actually speaks very, very clearly that even all the good things that we do, we can never somehow get God to owe us eternal life. For all of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Really? So like that... That thing I did, thing I, <clears throat> that thing I did in the eighth grade, everybody's going to know? I don't think you're going to want to know. I don't think most of you will even care. But possibly. All of them? All of them. You okay with that? Can I tell you what I now am? I'm okay with that. I really am now okay with that. In light of who God is and who I am, the gap between the two, Jesus standing in that gap, and then me putting my trust in him, I'm ready to meet him. And God will judge every act that I've done. Did you know that in the Bible it says there are 613 commands and they come down kind of, if you, if you kind of filter them down, they come down to these 10 commands. And if, even if you filter them down, Jesus says it comes down to really two commands, to love God and then to love others, which really what Jesus is saying is there's one command, which is love God. And everything flows from that. Everything flows from that. Love God. Everything flows from that. I actually believe that all of my life will come down to one decision that I made. One. What did you do with Jesus? That will be the center point of everything. And the reason why I'm excited to meet him in full fear and joy, and worship, and adoration is because I know the one thing that this explains everything else. I've, I've got a friend of mine, 15 years old, went to, uh, uh, went to Youthquake this year, working through some decisions about what it is to follow Jesus, and I, I'll, I'll make this statement. You know, you do know it's the most important decision you'll ever make, and everybody goes, yeah, it is. Like three, three relatively young people got in and out of the water and what they just did was the most important decision in their life. Yeah, it's the most important decision in their life. Like I think sometimes we say that too quickly. But I would have no problem if somebody said, really? Like honestly, like is this like a church comment, most important thing? Or do you really actually believe that? Like the most important thing? Yeah, the most important thing. 
like more important than like your job? Like that you spend, how much time? Like more important than your job? And the answer is what? Yep, more important than your job. Like more important than my marriage. You think, you really think that that decision is more important than my marriage? Yep. Okay, your decision to have children, which you thought was a good idea for a while. Like more important than that? And the answer is yes. And here's why. It's not because at 12 years old I fully understood. I I did not know what I was doing fully. And by the way, I'm 55, I still don't know. I'm living my life in response to a decision I made when I was 12 years old. And I don't always get it right, but when I get it right, I live every decision based upon that decision. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to stand before God. I stand before God and the one decision that I made that then governs every good and bad thing that I've done on the work of Jesus Christ. That's the vantage point that you and I have that Solomon does not have. Is that everything good and everything bad that you've done has to go through the door. What did you do with Jesus? And therefore, everything bad is forgiven. And everything good, even if I didn't know what I was doing, was for him. Even when I didn't know. But by the way, that then assumes that you made a decision to follow Jesus. So here's the question, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do with this? That after everything is weighed, fear God and keep his commands. Because one day that you will meet, you will meet him one day and everything good and everything bad. And every time I deal with this, the fear of God, I think of Jesus. Every time I deal with the commands of God, I think of Jesus. Every time I think about meeting him in judgment, I think of Jesus. What's your plan? I know Stanton read us from Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9. I want to read to you. Turn there real quick. Turn, turn. It's not going to appear on the screen. But I want to I read to you from Psalm 119, beginning in verse 33. Listen to this. And again, the beauty of this is, is, is that the writer of, the, of this psalm did not know about Jesus. So he's speaking like 12-year-old Jim. Yes, I accept Jesus Christ, my personal Lord and Savior, and I will follow him for the rest of my life. And not fully understanding what I mean, that's what the psalmist was writing here with Psalm 119. Look at verse 33. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction and I will obey it and I will follow it with all my heart. Help me stay on the path of your commands for I take pleasure in it. Turn my heart to your decrees and, I, and to not to dishonest profit. Turn my eyes from looking at, worthless, uh, at what is worthless and give me life in your ways. Confirm what you said to your servant for it produces reverence for you. Turn away the disgrace that I dread. Indeed, your judgments are, go- are good. How I long for your precepts. And then I love this last line. I never really noticed it in light of of what Ecclesiastes ends. Give me life through your righteousness. He's talking about the word of God. Small w. And where you and I stand, he's talking about the word of God. His name is Jesus. Give me life through your righteousness. Those of you who know me know I love the book of Revelation. 
And I want to conclude with some words from Revelation chapter 22 that talk about judgment and the goodness of God. Chapter 22, beginning in verse 6, the angel said to me, that's John, one of the disciples of Jesus, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophet, sent his angel to show his servants the things that will soon take place. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy that is written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who'd been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with the fellow prophets. And with all who keep the words of the scroll, worship God alone. And then he told me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of the scroll because the time is near. And then verse 11 is one of the most fascinating verses in scripture to me. It's an invitation. And most times when we have invitations, it's like to do good. And that's in here. But the invitation that God gives allows you to go, no, no. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does righteous, who does right, continue to do what is right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. It just astounds me that God, again, allows us to choose. What are you going to do with this? Take some principles from the wisdom series and try to use them in your life to have a better life? It's not a bad thing. You could do worse or respond to Jesus, which is really what this is all about. Jesus ends and he says, look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me, he says, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. Isn't that interesting? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus says, behold, I am coming and my reward is with me and I will repay everyone for what they have done. You ready for him? I am. Because guess what I did? Gave my life to him completely. That's what I did. I'm ready. And, and I know Jesus said, I'm, my reward is with me. If I could just say this, and again, I, I believe Jesus would agree with me, the reward is him. Now, there's more involved, but the reward is him. And that's what we're doing right here. Recognizing the fullness of the reward of him. For he said, this is my body, which is given for you. I broke it, and now I give it to you, and I want you to eat it. Let's take it and eat. This is a cup representing my blood, which was given to you. It's me, the reward, and we drink. Let us always be grateful for the reality of God giving himself to redeem us, to save us, because we could not save ourselves fully knowing our brokenness and not undone by it rescuing us because he know we needed he knows we needed rescue and doing it all joyfully he did joyfully every step of the way let us respond to him in worship and in praise this morning church